Hello and welcome everybody to the first official installment of the Cam Sanders Show. I'm your host Cam Sanders um, and I'm excited to get into things. Uh, there have been some projects that I've put out in preparation for this and I've been learning, trying to get better as a podcaster and now it's time to do the first official release where I'm going to talk about what's going on in the world of sports and release my show the way I want to do it. Uh, I want to talk about the things I've been paying attention to and just report on some of my favorite teams and favorite sports and just cover the sports world. Today is March 6th, 2022, and I was glued to the TV all day watching some good old NBA basketball, um, also trying to get my classwork done. But uh, there was one game that I was not able to get any work done, and that game was a rematch of last year's NBA Finals between the defending NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the team with the best record in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and that game was what they called the ESPN Sunday Showcase. So it was on primetime television, trying to get it out into the world. And I was all over it. I thought that was a great game. And so I'll be recapping that a little bit to start off the show. Following that, I'm going to touch on just the current state of the NBA, as well as a bit of what's going on in the world of college hoops, who I like and who I don't. Talk a bit about bracketology with Joe Lunardi. Uh, he's not actually a guest, but we're just going to be covering one of his his most recent article on ESPN Bracketology and the bracket that he put out projecting what the seeds are going to be. And then to close it out, I'm going to give my top three highlights of the weekend. So let's get this thing going. All right. So first order of business, we have the ESPN Sunday showcase between the Milwaukee Bucks and Phoenix Suns rematch of last year's NBA Finals where the Bucks took it and we saw more of that today with the Suns there was no Devin Booker no Chris Paul and no Cam Johnson who was the hero of their game on Friday night uh, Giannis got into a bit of foul trouble with uh, late into the fourth quarter but the Bucks were able to power through and win this game by 10. During this game, Giannis was a beast, but it really was the Chris Middleton show. Uh, he led the charge as Giannis battled through foul trouble throughout the game. There was a period where Giannis got his fifth foul with seven minutes left, and the Bucks were able to outscore the Suns by seven points while Giannis was off the court. Chris Middleton was just all over the place, hitting step back three after step back three, driving to the hoop, spinning through the lane, throwing everything up. It was all going in. He finished with 44 points. Giannis as an offensive rebounder just continued to give his team second chance opportunities it was really awesome to see him work uh, Drew Holiday was also playing with a lot of confidence he had three points in the first half but 21 in the second half to finish with 24 another fun storyline from this game was uh, Drew Holiday was playing against his brother Aaron who's on the Suns and Aaron and him were going at it both giving a lot of effort adding a lot of interest into this game Grayson Allen, he was another key piece for the Bucks. He was moving the ball well. You know, there was a couple times where he was open in the corner and he might have had a shot, but he took the extra pass to get it to the hot, hot hand, Chris Middleton, who would make sure that shot was going to go in. Bucks also, young guy, Jordan Nawara, was really coming to his own. I saw him taking the ball to the rim, being aggressive, hitting his floaters. That was awesome. So there was a big call with under two minutes left where Chris Middleton was driving down the left side and he had, it seemed like he had a step on Jay Crowder, but Jay Crowder was moving with him and he gave him a forearm right to the chest. I thought it was an offensive foul, but it was called a block. Uh, the Bucks ended up going, going up seven, forcing a turnover, came down and the Suns didn't foul and Chris Middleton hits a step back three dagger. Um, that would put them up 10. 
Bobby Portis comes in, shoves the ball into Jay Crowder's chest, and that that sparks a little bit of a shuffle. But the game was over from there. The final score was the Bucks one thirty two to the Suns one twenty two. They outscored the Suns forty two to thirty two in the fourth quarter and seventy two to fifty nine in the second half for a come from behind win. Some highlights from the final box score. The Suns as a team shot 50% from the field while shooting 45% from three. Uh, so those are some good numbers for them. The Bucks severely out-rebounded them, though. It was 48-27 to 27 on the glass. Um, and a lot of that was on the offensive glass. You could tell watching this game that the Bucks were just getting so many second chances, led by Giannis. And I think that was one of the keys to victory in this game because... They, you know, they get a good shot, put it up, doesn't go in, but you get that offensive rebound, second chance, back open to an open shooter. It's likely going to go in the second time when you have guys with as much skill as they have in the NBA. Giannis was a beast. He had a 19.13 rebound and six assist game, and he was battling foul trouble early on. Only played 31 minutes, but was still able to just show his dominance throughout the game. In this game, though, the hero was Chris Middleton. He had 44 points and was just unstoppable for portions of the game. Uh, I've talked about him earlier, but this guy is... We talk about who's Batman and who's Robin, but really what we've seen in this is one's Batman, one's Superman. You know, that's what they've been saying with Chris Middleton and Giannis. They're two true perennial all-star superstar guys who can put the team on their back and help them win games. And that's why they won the championship last year, having two guys like this and guys to support them like drew holiday who are going to play hard really good team the Suns are no slouches though i mean they're they're missing a couple of their key guys right now and they were still able to compete in this game still first in the nba in terms of record without those guys so if they can just get healthy before they go back to the playoffs i'm sure they're going to be all right uh deandre ayton led the suns with 30 points and eight rebounds jay crowder had 19 five and seven assists uh campaign had 23 and eight assists really strong performances from these guys during the game and uh i can't wait to see what comes comes from these teams so now moving on to the current state of the nba as we talked about the phoenix suns being first in the nba and having the best record but who else is good um the miami heat are the leaders in the eastern conference they are eight and two in their last 10 and they're really coming into their own this is a team that uh has started to pick up those strides that they had in the bubble with jimmy butler as a leader tyler hero coming into his own and he is that man's a walking bucket um i I haven't watched too many heat games this year i'm not gonna lie but i just know what they going on with got going on with bam Adebayo and jimmy and those guys they're really talented Right behind them in the East is the Sixers, traded for James Harden, finally uh, fixed that Ben Simmons situation. And having an MVP candidate like Joel Embiid in the season he's having, um, adding someone like James Harden, and of course, they're going to be good. They're 7-3 in the last 10, 39-24 overall. Right behind them is the Bucks, who we just talked about. They're a very strong team, defending champions. You know they're going to push. And then... Uh, to cap off the top half of those playoff teams is the Chicago Bulls. DeMar DeRozan playing like an MVP candidate, but lost four games in a row um, prior to winning six straight, four in a row for the Bulls. So a little bit of a slump. We'll see if they can come back into their own before the playoffs come. It's better to lose those games now than to lose them late in the season and into the playoffs when that'd be bad. You lose four in a row in the playoffs, you're out. On the Western Conference, we got the Suns in first, who we just covered, and then behind them is the Warriors, who have a four-game losing streak and are 2-8 and eight in the last 10. It is not looking very good for them right now. I think a key piece of them that they've been missing is Draymond Green, but when they get Draymond back, are they going to be able to continue to play how they played before? 
Uh, they had that chemistry where they started off the season were the best team in the NBA. Great ball movement. Steph was playing like he was the MVP again. Take Draymond out and something's gone. When Draymond comes back, are they going to be able to get back into that rhythm, um, play the way they were before? I'm hoping so because it what uh, you know, sometimes when you lose that mojo, it's hard to get it back. Behind them is the Grizzlies, a team that I love right now. They dropped one today to the Rockets, um, a team who is not very good. The Rockets would have lost 10 in a row if they had not won that game, but they take out the Grizzlies who have a guy who's playing his way into an MVP candidacy, John Morant. Uh, he's the future of the NBA. If you follow the NBA on any social medias, he's always getting posted. ESPN always posting him. So the exposure that he's getting because of the way he's playing, he's not just getting this exposure because the NBA likes him. No, he's getting it because he's a star. He's putting up numbers. He's making crazy highlights. And that's what's giving him the exposure because he's so damn good. Um, so really exciting to watch him play and see that he has the Grizzlies all the way up to three in the West. That's the highest I have seen them in the standings since as far as I can remember. Um, they've always been in the bottom half of the conference, if not the bottom half of the playoffs on the uh years that they do make it to the playoffs. So that's really exciting to see. And then you got the Jazz who are starting to heat up a bit. They got Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert holding down the inside. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has been proving more and more that he's going to be a star in this league for years to come. I mean, we saw bits and pieces of what he's been able to do the last two years in the playoffs, but they always just get eliminated to a team with a little bit more star power. And that's one of the things I start to feel with uh, the Jazz Going into this year, I mean, will Donovan Mitchell be able to step up to the level that is a star who can push his team through the playoffs, or are they going to get stuck in that ground where they're a first or second round exit again? Uh, my team, the Blazers, finally dropping out of the top 10. Um, the Pelicans starting to heat up a little bit as the Pelicans win four in a row to get that 10th spot, the last spot in the play-in seeds, and the Portland Trail Blazers drop four straight as they plan to, tanking. Um, Blazers need to tank to get those lottery picks. I'm not a huge NBA GM type guy, but I what I do understand is that the Blazers are not putting their best players on the floor trying to win. They are putting guys on the floor that are young developmental guys who are going to get minutes and not necessarily trying to win because, well, if they lose, they have a better chance of getting a good draft pick. And that's just the way it is sometimes in the NBA. Um, if you're not actively going for a championship, which the Blazers do not have the players to do while Damian Lillard is hurt, as he has been uh, since his season-ending surgery, um, you know, there's a lot more upside to tanking, unfortunately. And I know as a sports fan, it's hard to hard to see your team lose and not be very good. And right now, they are not very good. They are really bad, to be honest. Um, but they're, you know, you got to watch and just look for the little things like the de developmental guys uh, watching like guys like Greg Brown Jr. who are second round picks, but have big upsides if they can just develop a little more in the NBA or Anthony Simons, who's a young guy who's been in the league for four years now, but he's still only 22 and he's starting to put up all star type numbers. That's exciting for me to watch at least. So I'll continue to watch even though the players are 25 and 38 by far the worst record they've had in the last couple of years. Uh, moving away from the NBA to NCAA basketball, I'm going to cover a little bit of NCAA bracketology. So this is the 2022 NCAA tournament bracketology by Joe Lenardi. It was last updated a couple days ago on March 4th. And he goes through and he ranks all of the teams in the NCAA and seeds them for what is going to be the 68 team bracket that comes out 
at the end of all of the conference tournaments. And this is the tournament that decides the NCAA champion. So usually these brackets are somewhat close to what's going to happen. Obviously, towards the end of the year, there's more games played and guys got to, you know, teams got to play their way in. Um, There's going to be some Cinderella's in the conference tournaments. But overall, we have a general understanding of what the field should look like um, as of today. So the one seeds that he has is Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, and Baylor. I think these are the best four teams. You could maybe argue that uh, Kansas, Duke, or um, if it's not Baylor, it's going to be whatever team beats Baylor in the conference championship. And uh, If it is going to be Kansas, I think they have a chance to steal that one seed. But I do like and agree with those four one seeds. The two seeds are Kansas, Wisconsin, Duke, and Kentucky. Uh, Duke and Kentucky, both teams that I think would have been one seeds had they not played themselves out of it. They both lost some some crucial games at the end of the year at versus a team like Auburn, who has just moved their way up. You know, they were at one point the number one team in the nation, lost a few big games, but are now starting to win again and played themselves back into potentially being a one seed for the Pac-12. That's the conference that I really like um, as a beaver. Uh, there's three teams currently in right now with Arizona, USC and UCLA. I see Arizona being a contender to win. UCLA has the talent to do it. Um, We saw them make the great run last year, making it to the final four. And that's, I think they have the same team to do it again this year. Obviously quite, there's some small changes, but uh, UCLA has the experience now. So coming in, if they can just get the right path, uh, I I could see them making it to the final four again. So the PAC 12 only having three right now. um, But Right on the bubble is Oregon. Um, Not a huge duck guy, but I do want to see the Pac-12 conference succeed. And Oregon's a team where if they can just finish strong, win a couple games in the tournament, um, they're going to have a chance to get in. Um, They're one of the next four out. So one of the very bubble teams. Uh, It's going to depend on how the other teams on the bubble perform and how Oregon performs. And they're going to have to win themselves into the tournament. Another thing, looking at these brackets, uh, this is a little bit of a side topic. I don't love the first four games. Um, it was always a 64 team bracket. And then in the recent years, they added in these first, first four games where teams have to play themselves in. And it makes sense to me when you have an auto qualifier team from a smaller conference who, if it's a team from a small conference who did not play well in the regular season, and then they come out of nowhere and win their conference championship. Yeah, that makes sense. They have to get into the tournament because they're auto qualifier. But if you get a couple of those, you can make them play a play in, um, make them play against each other. The teams with the worst records who are auto qualifiers, make them play in a play in. Um, I don't understand that that's necessarily the way it goes now, but why do that with the 11 and 12 seeds? I mean, do that with all the 16 seeds, the worst teams in the tournament. So the auto qualifiers who don't necessarily need to be there have to win their way in because I, I believe in earning it in. Uh, the auto qualifiers, not just sitting in over teams that might be better teams like Rutgers who are an auto qualifier. If you think they're good enough to get in, put them in the tournament. Don't just take them and stick them against another team who also might be better than some of the auto qualifiers and make them play in. Um, I don't know. And then you're kind of just picking and choosing on who's going to be playing in who's auto qualifier and why and why and why not and it just makes the whole thing sloppy i think you take your auto qualifiers you take the next best teams and you fill out your bracket uh the whole committee can do a good job trying to get get it right and once you fill out your 64 team bracket don't have play in games to also determine in just to get a, a bit more cash revenue i just i don't 
don't like the process teams that fight all year to make the tournament and then you say oh you're almost in we're just gonna put you right on the bubble make make you play in to get it could be fun um i guess if i were a team i would rather be put into a playing tournament than get snubbed and not uh, not make it in over a team that you say well why didn't we get into a play-in? We could have played him and beat him. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me, I guess, in that in that matter. But I think overall, the committee needs to get together, make the decision. These teams are in. These teams aren't. This is our bracket. Uh, I think in doing that, uh, there's a lot less question on what teams deserve to get in, what teams deserve to be in the play-in games versus be auto-seeded. Uh, and we can just avoid a lot of that questioning without that. Moving on to my top three highlights. Uh, my top three highlights of the week. We, I'm going to start off going backwards. I'm going to go number three, go in reverse order. Former Oregon State wrestler, Colby Covington. He dominated Jorge Masvidal in the recent UFC 272 fight. I actually bet on Masvidal. I, I'll, I'll just be completely open here, I guess. Uh, I went to the bars and I was I was kind of sauced up a little bit. And I was talking to one of my buddies and I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to stream the fight. Like, you should, you guys should come over. Yeah, all this. He's like, oh, who you got? I, was, I said to him confidently, like, what do you mean? Colby's going to win. Come on. He's got this. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man. Jorge, like, he's got the, he's got a chance to take him out. I don't know what convinced me from this guy. He he didn't say anything cool to me. He was just like, I like Jorge. I was like, all right, well, let's, let's check the betting odds, see what it is. And I saw that Covington was such a huge favor. And I just liked that plus sign and saw that Masvidal was an underdog and threw some money on Masvidal. So then I woke up the next morning for thought I was going to be rooting for Colby because he was an Oregon state wrestler, like former Oregon state wrestler. I had had watched him wrestle a couple of times when my buddy's dad was the wrestling coach here. And I usually always root for him in fights, but for this one time, for some reason, while I was drunk, I bet on Jorge Masvidal. So I was forced to root for him and it was not a good decision to bet on him. Colby absolutely worked Jorge the entire time. He was just the more dominant wrestler. There's a point in the fight where Jorge uh, threw a hard right hook, like very hard cut, Colby right on the tip of the chin and dropped him to his knees and Colby got up and smiled like looked right back at him in the face and at that moment I knew that my bet was probably not going to go my way Colby smothered everything that Jorge did the entire time uh Colby was pretty much in a power position riding him from the top it, there was no chance I I knew it from the beginning um, unless Jorge was able to drop him Colby was going to win that fight he he would have some judges had him scoring uh, scored it that he won every single round. Um, all other judges had it four rounds to one. So there was no way that that he or he was going to win a decision if he didn't drop Colby. Uh, my next one highlight of the weekend is going to also be <laughs> uh, Oregon State related. Oregon State baseball is off to a super hot start this weekend. They won their first home series of the year against UC Irvine, who is a ranked team. They're very good. Uh, they're off to a hot start, nine and one in their first ten games. Um, they lost their first game today. Uh, it was three to two in extra innings against this good UC Irvine team, and uh, they still won the series. So it, there's no harm in losing one here and there. Uh, I think Oregon State has a really good chance to make a deep run into the playoffs and to the College World Series again this year. Uh, they're a perennial powerhouse, and I love watching them. So. It's really awesome to see them get back at home and start to play in front of their fans for the first time in two years. 
Fun stat of the day here, Oregon State baseball is outscoring opponents 101 to 37 in the first 10 games. That is just pure domination. They're scoring like 21, 13, 9, 12 runs every game. Uh, So when they can put their bats together, and obviously sometimes you're going to run into good pitching, but Oregon State has a lot of guys who can nuke the baseball, drive in runs, get extra base hits, and that's what's going to win us. Win us a lot of ball games, and then the pitching staff's been unreal. I mean, 37 runs in 10 games. It's money. Less than four runs a game, scoring over 10 a game. It's gonna gonna win you a lot of ball games. And then my number one highlight of the weekend, Suns versus Knicks. It was the NBA Saturday night uh primetime show. I was oh, am I I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday, whatever. I was so stoked because during this game, the Suns go down big and they're, I think they're down 12 to 13. And I, I go on, I bet responsibly on the Suns money line, big underdogs to come back and win. And from then on, Julius Randle gets ejected, pushes Cam Johnson, pushes the ref, gets a double tech. Cam Johnson takes that personal and just goes to drill three after three after three, finishing nine of 12 from three. Uh, I believe he was seven of eight from three in the second half and finishes with 38 points off the bench, including a game winner bank shot from deep three. Uh, They were down two. Uh, I believe it was Alec Burks of the Knicks misses the second free throw, which would have put the Knicks up three sons understand they have no timeouts dribble the ball down the court, pushing it as Cam Johnson just takes his time trails gets the kick back to him. Step a pull up three off the glass. No doubt about it. Me and my buddies all got money on the Suns. We just start going crazy. We were watching this game in the Uber. Uh, it was very, very exciting to watch. I was I was very happy to see that happen. And Cam Johnson's a guy that I'm just looking forward to hopefully the Blazers going after him in free agency because I feel like he is undervalued on the Suns and they got a lot of young talent there. They're, they're going to have to pay. And if Cam Johnson walks, that's a guy that we need to go after a four that can stretch the floor and shoot the ball. And I was talking during that game. I was saying to all my buddies, Cam Johnson, we need this guy. And they're like, what? Cam Johnson? Like, huh? I was like, watch and wait. He just continues to drill threes. I mean, nine of 12, that might've been a career game for him, but if that's, there's one game that I want Blazers fans to watch, go watch this game versus the Knicks, at least watch the highlights. This man can shoot the ball, high release point, hard to guard. So those are my top moments from this weekend in sports. And that is going to wrap up what is the first official episode of my podcast, the Cam Sanders show. Make sure that you follow me on whatever podcast service you're using so that you'll have all my new episodes that drop weekly in your podcast feed. I'm really excited to be putting out content and I'm sure that over time I'm going to be able to fine tune the structure of the show and kind of get better at my skills, what I want to talk about, how I want to do it, not be so robotic during some of the scripted time. I'm much better going off the top of the cuff. Um, But I do understand that having highlights and being able to pull stats out without having to stop and research it is better for the longer of the podcast. So I really do need to just find that balance and in between a rant and expressing my opinions, but also being analytical and pulling statistics because sometimes listening to statistics might just be a little bit boring. And I, I do get that some people like listening and hearing the advanced analytics. So it's important for me to find that balance and what I like and how I do it. And I think with more time of talking and covering sports, I'm going to learn that. And that's what's so great about having your own show is you get to do it on your own. 
and learn as you go. So hopefully you guys stick with me. Um, I'm expecting to continue to get better as a podcaster and grow. And I just want to thank you guys for being here, listening to the end of this podcast, which is the very beginning of hopefully a long tenured podcast for lots of episodes. Uh, so it's much appreciated uh, for whoever is still here listening and go bees. And I just hope that everyone has a fantastic week. Peace.